This is The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Jerry Agar in for John Moore, and this is The Breakfast Wrap for May the 2nd, Tuesday. Showers through the day, light wind early this morning, a high of 8 expected for Tuesday. For Wednesday, a few showers ending near noon, then cloudy. There's a chance of showers throughout the rest of the day. With a high of 11, looking deeper into the week, we may get some days without rain. Here are the five things you need to know. Legendary Canadian singer-songwriter Gordon Lightfoot passes away at the age of 84. The Leafs face the Panthers for round two. Yes, the Leafs in round two coming up. First time in 19 years. Teen suffers catastrophic head injury while climbing on a moving subway car. The U.S. ends COVID vaccine requirements for Canadians entering the country. And the Blue Jays are still looking for the winner of $2.9 million. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. gone at the age of 84. Good morning, I'm Jerry Agar. In for John Moore. In a moment, we're going to play um, a retrospective that John Moore put together for this eventuality. I'll have that for you in a moment. By the way, I have to tell this little story since Nick decided to play in the early morning rain. I was reading a biography of Gordon Lightfoot, and one of the stories that I remember from that biography is Ian Tyson coming to Toronto and checking out the coffee house scene and hearing about this guy. He was told you have to go see this guy named Gordon Lightfoot. And Ian Tyson was pretty successful. He had the same manager as um, Bob Dylan, for instance. And so he goes to the coffee house and he climbs the stairs to the second floor. And a guy comes out and sings in the early morning rain. And Ian Tyson, as I recall the story, ran downstairs Put some coins in the payphone. We used to have those kids. You can look it up. Uh, put some coins in the payphone. Called the manager and said, I found your next guy. Gordon Lightfoot made quite the impact. And that that uh, retrospective from John, uh, in just a moment, I, I committed myself to starting with a silly joke. Uh, each time I fill in for John, and I and these three days, John's back tomorrow. Um I decided to to do some doctor jokes. So um, a couple of doctors, young doctors, they go out uh, to, and they hook up at a bar. They don't know each other, but they hook up at a bar. They go back to her place and yada, yada. And uh, she, you figure it out. And she, uh, she gets up and goes and washes her hands. And she comes back and the guy says, oh, you must be a surgeon. And she said, well, how would you know that? And he said, because you're always washing your hands. And she said, well, you must be an anesthesiologist. And he said, I am. How did you know that? Because I didn't feel a thing. All right. Uh, even the drummer went to sleep. Okay, so um, planning ahead, as he does, John Moore got together with uh, one of our production people, Chris, and um, give you this. There was a 
time in this fair land when the railroad did not run. He was Canada's troubadour, a bridge between 60s folk and the superstar singer-songwriters of the early 1970s. Long before the white man and long before the wheels. I started like with Pete Seeger and Bob Dylan and, and Joan Baez. You know, that's where I got started. Gordon Lightfoot's most creative period was during a time where Neil Young, Leonard Cohen, Judy Collins, and Joni Mitchell frequented the same coffee houses and each other's homes. It was a cauldron of musical creativity. Through the woodland, through the valley, comes a horseman wild and free. I'd always heavily influenced by Bob Dylan. Except that Dylan says Lightfoot was an influence on him. Born in Aurelia, Ontario, Gordon Lightfoot was mentored by a choir leader. At the age of 12, he debuted in the house that he might as well own, Massey Hall. As a teen, he learned piano, drums, and guitar. He moved to Los Angeles to study jazz, but fell in with the folkies. Other artists started to notice his songwriting skills. Johnny Cash put him on his hit TV show. Uh, is this what they call a tenor guitar? No, that's what they call a 12 or I paid 12 for it. Oh. That's what you get for loving me. An early success for Lightfoot was Early Morning Rain. I had already written about 25 or 30 tunes before that. But it was the first one that I actually wrote that was like, boom, there, there it is. In the early morning rain With a dollar in my head Hit after hit would follow. He'd be covered by Peter, Paul and Mary, Harry Belafonte, Eric Clapton, John Mellencamp. Two of his songs would leave an indelible impression. You could read my mind, love What a tale my thoughts could Which got an update for a new era in 1998. Did you like the uh, version that was done for Studio 54? Yeah, I did, and, and, the, and the, much, the amount of it they used was perfect. God, they used 43 minutes of it. Gord always colored outside of the musical margins. The Canadian Railroad Trilogy is an ode to rail and Canada's geography, and it takes the form of a seven-minute symphony. But his most iconoclastic tune was inspired by the deadly sinking of a cargo ship. The legend lives on from the Chippewa on down at the big lake they call Gitchagumi. Musically an oddball song, it would go to number two on the Billboard chart. Lightfoot liked to party, and he paid the price. Two failed marriages and health issues that would almost kill him in 2002. The last time I spoke with Gordon Lightfoot, Massey Hall was under renovation. Do you dream about the day that they reopen Massey Hall? Because I have this vision of the room going dark and then you stepping out up to a mic, just you and a guitar, boom, spotlight. Ladies and gentlemen, Gordon Lightfoot in the house that Gordon Lightfoot built. That will be if, I, if I'm the MC, because on that weekend, I think we should have several artists that perform in there. And that's exactly how it went. See willows, cattails, soft winds and roses, rain pools in the woodland. Gordon Lightfoot's songs were complicated and uncomplicated at the same time. Short phrases, questions asked and answered, his lyrics can be elliptical and mysterious. He writes in themes, moods, and images. There's a certain unknowability about him and his work. 
but he leaves behind an immortal songbook. Has it been a good ride so far? Yeah! Picking up the pieces of my sweet shattered dream I wonder how the old folks are tonight I'm John Moore Every highway Let me slip away on you Every highway You've seen the better days The morning after blues And I head down to my shoes I'm Jerry Agar in for John Moore, and somebody wrote to me, did you guys put that together ahead of time? Well, of course. Of course, that's just good planning. Although you have to remember, for this radio station, this is the second time Gordon Lightfoot has died. Uh, it was kind of embarrassing for us the first time, but this time around, for real, sadly, Gordon Lightfoot gone at the age of 84. You'll hear more about that throughout the course of the morning. You're listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. See her lying back in her satin dress In a room where you do what you don't confess Sundown, you better take care If I find you been creeping round my back stairs It's Gordon Lightfoot and Sundown. That is, that is most successful song, maybe. His most iconic song was Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. What does Gordon Lightfoot mean in Canada that Joe was asking me that, really? Because, Joe, you grew up in New York City, so you knew who Gordon Lightfoot was. But uh, from our conversation this morning, I think not being a Canadian, you didn't get it. Well, that that's probably accurate. I mean, everyone knows the wreck of the Evan Fitzgerald. But right. after and that, other songs by Lightfoot. I mean, he was an international success as a singer and songwriter and recording artist. But um, one of the ways that I responded to Joe this morning when he asked me that question is just off the top of my head, I said, there was a time in this fair land when the railroad did not run. When the wild, majestic mountains stood alone against the sun, long before the white man and long before the wheel, when the green, dark forest was too silent to be real. That's just in me. It's in my head. Now, you're a great uh, music historian in my view. I I think you know a lot about music. but. What is it about those lyrics that you were able to repeat it without looking at it? You didn't read that off a screen. You literally read it right. off the top of your head. Right. I guess it, it, it speaks to Gordon Lightfoot's ability to write these memorable lyrics, I guess. Well, like like the record of the Edmund Fitzgerald, I think he, he captured the beginnings of the country. Okay, not the beginnings of the country, certainly when people came across the land barrier and, you know, and became the indigenous people of, of Canada. But it's, it was all about the, the, the forming of this country, the building of the railway. Um, the song is called the Canadian Railroad Trilogy because it, it shifts form several times as it goes. It has no chorus, but it just that that verse says something about a country that has yet to open up to the modern country that it is today. Uh, when the green dark forest was too silent to be real. There's just something 
magical about that lyric, I guess. And it takes an incredible songwriter to do. You might look at it and think it's a simple line, but great songs are built of simple lines. And if you think that's easy, give it a try. <laughs> give us a call with, uh, with your song. So many things going through my mind um, on the passing of Gordon Lightfoot and uh, how pleased I am that at one point when Gordon Lightfoot was going to perform at a theater in Mississauga and I bought a ticket. My family was away. My wife was away. Uh, I knew ahead of time that that would be the case. I bought a ticket. I went to see Gordon Lightfoot by myself. It was a few years ago and the voice wasn't there anymore. I mean, quite frankly, the voice was not there. But I saw Gordon Lightfoot. That's, that's what it meant to me. I saw Gordon Lightfoot. And here's a funny thing from his concert. He was doing the songs, but he would do maybe the chorus and then a verse and then the chorus, and then he'd stop and he'd do another one. And he kept doing that. And then finally he, he stopped and he acknowledged that. He said, I'm sure you've noticed that I'm not doing the full song. I'm just doing the chorus a couple of times and a verse in between. And he said, I'm doing that because I want to get as many songs in here tonight as I can. And after all these years, I'm aware of the fact that I get a certain, uh, to a certain point in the song, and you people are sitting there in the audience going, yeah, 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 we got that. Let's hear another one now. <laughs> I thought it's funny for him to say that because you'd think that a songwriter would have much more connection to the song to think, of course, everybody wants to hear the whole song. And he realized, you know, you might like it if I just did part of the song and then I just do another one. And so he did that for a while. And then he said, OK, well, I'm doing the whole thing now. I'm not editing this next one. And he did Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, the whole seven, seven and a half minutes of it or whatever it is. And I had mentioned earlier reading a biography of Gordon Lightfoot, and that song is so iconic. And it's about seven and a half minutes long, I think, Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. The story that I remember from the biography is that he was working on that song while he was recording an album. They were in the midst of recording the album, and he saw the news story about the sinking of the Edmund Fitzgerald, and it just got to him. And he came up with this melody that he thought had a bit of a sea shanty feel to it. And he started writing the verses. And if there was some sort of break in the recording process for the album they were doing, he would sit in the corner and noodle away on this song. So finally, they had enough songs and they, and they had an album. And, you know, that's a rap sort of thing. And somebody said, Gordon, why don't we take a run at that uh, ship sinking song or something, whatever they called it. Uh, and Gordon, he said, well, it's not done. I don't, I don't think I have that ready. Yeah, well, let's take a run at it anyway. I mean, what the heck? So he said, okay, and he took some music stands, and he set them up side by side. There's so many lyrics to it. He set the lyrics out in front of him, and they said, well, let's give it a try. Two, three, four, and that's the record. One take of one of the most iconic Songs. It's unbelievable. You'd think it would take forever to record a song like that. There are many other things to talk about, of course, but we will certainly be talking about Gordon Lightfoot through the course of the morning. Gordon Lightfoot passed away yesterday at the age of 84. This is News Talk 1010. Subscribe today and always hear the latest episode of The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore.
what you get for loving me That's what you get for loving me Everything you had is gone As you can see That's what you get for loving me That song's pretty hardcore if you really listen to it. That's, uh, yeah, it didn't work out for you, babe, but hey, that's what you get for loving me. I mean, he could, he wrote some visceral stuff, no doubt about it. That's Gordon Lightfoot, gone now at the age of 84. I'm Jerry Agar in for John Moore. He'll be back tomorrow. Gordon Lightfoot had a real connection with this radio station, and it wasn't just that unfortunate day when we announced that he was gone. How many years ago was that, Nick, when uh, it was a while ago, like a decade or so ago, or more than that maybe, Somehow the story got going around that Gordon Lightfoot had passed away. And I think doing some due diligence, a person in the news department contacted Ronnie Hawkins. And Ronnie Hawkins had heard that Gordon Lightfoot had passed away, and incorrectly as well. But when Ronnie Hawkins said, yeah, that's a, apparently that's right, that was, well, that's the confirmation we needed. And we went on the air, and Lightfoot was apparently driving his car to go to the dentist or something, and he heard on the radio that he died. <laughs> he called. That must have been kind of amusing to him. He called the radio station and said, uh, not dead. <laughs> So we're happy to fix that story. But he used to do um, CFRB. We call ourselves News Talk 1010, but we're still legally CFRB. He used to do CFRB Christmas parties occasionally, didn't he, Nick? He did. So you the, go back a lot further than I do. So the Slate family who once owned this radio station um, were great supporters of Gordon Lightfoot, maybe financially. I'm not yeah. sure exactly, but they were a big part of Gordon Lightfoot's career. And uh, and he would often attend some of the uh, CFRB Christmas parties. And one that I remember uh, specifically was December of 1998, and we're in uh, some little bistro, and it was a Christmas party. It was a really nice evening. We get to meet Gordon Lightfoot. He was a very gracious man, and just he was just about to perform. You could hear a pin drop in the room. Yeah. He was just about to get into If You Could Read My Mind. You've got to be thinking, how cool is this? I'm at the company Christmas party, and the entertainment is Gordon Lightfoot. And in those few moments, as he was getting ready to play that first note, there was silence in the room. And then all of a sudden, everyone's beepers went off. Everyone's pagers went off. Yeah, look those up, kids. We used to have beepers. And I mean, but those those uh, beepers rang so loudly because the room was so quiet. It was this hush in the room. And it was uh, President Clinton had declared air airstrikes against Iraq in December of 1998. So the news director was Bill Carroll at the time, myself and the program director grabbed the cab and went a few short blocks up to the radio station and did special coverage on, on the station. Uh, we had a fill-in host at the time while everyone else was partying. So uh, we had a few drinks in us, but boy, did we sober up right away. But we had to miss that performance because we had to go do our coverage. But my gosh, what an evening. And, and he understood, but it was kind of quite embarrassing. He's about to play his first note and everyone's pagers goes off. It's, yeah, and then everybody gets up and leaves which was unfortunate, but um, I, I've heard from Dave Agar, who was with this radio station so long. And by the way, he always appreciates it if I say no relation. Uh, and, uh, Dave's up early and listening, and he said, um, at one party, he wandered amongst our tables and sang his great songs. He partied with us, too. You would have loved it. I absolutely would have loved it. So Pat Foran, switching uh, gears here, but we will come back to Gordon Lightfoot throughout the course of the morning. Um, switching gears here, Pat Foran had a fascinating report yesterday that has to do with EVs and range. 
An Etobicoke man wanted to go green and bought a brand new electric car. He says he bought the vehicle based on its mileage estimates, but now he says it's not traveling as far as he thought it would. Jack Fleming purchased this $70,000 Volvo C40 recharge electric car last November. He and his wife wanted to go green and save money. My wife took a job up in Barrie. She's got a commute of 100 kilometers each way every day, and we were paying over $1,000 a month in gas. Fleming says before buying the all-electric car, he checked its range, which is advertised as 364 kilometers per charge. But he became concerned when the mileage was a lot less than that. If it hit 300, if it hit 275, we'd be happy. We just need enough to drive 100 kilometers up there and back with a bit of a safety margin so she doesn't feel like she's not going to make it home. 225, that's what it was getting. Nowhere near. That's, that's like almost 60% of what they're advertising. When Fleming complained, Volvo conducted its own tests on the car. In a statement, Volvo Canada told CTV News it stands behind the advertised ranges of its electric vehicles and said, as with all cars powered by an electric battery, the actual range will vary for many reasons, including driving conditions, temperature, how and where customers drive, and other factors. The interest has declined compared to last year, but we believe that demand is uh, still pretty strong. Auto Trader conducted a survey of Canadians and asked if they would buy an electric vehicle. Last year, 68% said they planned to go electric, but that number dropped to 56% this year. The main reason many Canadians plan to wait, they fear running out of battery power. Limited range, 76% of consumers said that that's the, the top reason. Volvo says it will work with its customers to resolve all concerns. Fleming says his wife now has to use their gasoline-powered car or pay additional charging costs. She still worries she could run out of power before she gets home. If I was just driving around town here with, uh, with this thing, it'd be great. But that's not what we need it for. And Volvo did announce a few days ago it plans to give its electric vehicles an upgrade to help them get more range. The changes should allow the cars to go farther and recharge faster. On your side, I'm Pat for it. All right. So if I were sitting here thinking, you know, I think maybe someday I'll have an electric vehicle. I didn't need one, uh, don't need one at the moment. But uh, if it comes to buying a new vehicle, I'm not against the idea of looking at an electric vehicle. I, I really actually don't care what powers my vehicle. I'm getting in the thing to get from A to B. That's really all I care about. And uh, if it's electric, then I'm fine with that, except I'm still nervous about it. And when I've talked about it on my own show from nine to noon from time to time, and I sound like I'm down on the electric vehicle at all. The people who are 100% gung-ho about the electric vehicles, they love theirs, they're saving the planet, all that kind of stuff. They get angry with me and they say that um, my range anxiety, so to speak, is unreasonable. But you listen to a report like that, Pat Foran's a great reporter, and a person is saying 60% of the advertised range, that's not good. Now, I got a text message here and from Whitby, only a tiny number of people drive that far. Well, that may be true, but still, this family is getting 60% of the advertised range. I don't think that's acceptable because if I'm going to buy the vehicle, I think about what I'm doing. Will it fit for me? Well, they were told yes. Maybe as, as the guy in the story said, if we we're just running around town, taking the thing over, get the groceries, come back, plug it back in again. Yeah, it'll that's that's fine. But you know, I, I actually drive distances when I drive Friday. I'm heading out 
I'm going to take my chances on the rain and the cold. I'm going to take the motorcycle, but I'm going to go to Pittsburgh. Well, I'd stop and plug that thing in a number of times in order just to get to Pittsburgh. That's not acceptable. Unless you have pedal power, and then you can, like, pedal your uh, your energy along the way. Courtesy Fred Flintstone's feet. <laughs> the Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. The legend lives on from the Chippewa on down At the big lake they call Gitchagumi The lake, it is said, never gives up her dead When the skies of November turn gloomy Here's a Gordon Lightfoot story for you. So it was some years ago, and I was at an event at Famous People Players Theater. Been at a number of events there. I like the Famous People Players Theater. And I was there, and Gordon Lightfoot was part of the event. I'll say this for uh, Diane running, um, Diane Dupuis running the Famous People Players Theater. Another time I'm there for an event, Dan Aykroyd is a part of it. She can attract people to her events at the theater. But Gordon Lightfoot was there that day, and he graciously agreed to do an interview with me. So we go kind of off to where uh, we get away from the noise of the dinner and that kind of thing. And I'm interviewing him. And I was actually asking him a question about the beginnings of his career. And I, I had a certain direction I was trying to go, but he misunderstood me. It was one of those happy accident kind of things. He misunderstood me, and he started talking about how at one point when he was young, he was doing an Elvis impersonation act. Well, I forgot about what it was I was going to ask. I said, are you kidding? You were an Elvis impersonator? And he starts singing Heartbreak Hotel. Gordon Lightfoot, he was, there's Gordon Lightfoot standing there and he's moving and he's impersonating Elvis and he's singing Heartbreak Hotel. And I just, oh my gosh, I couldn't wait to get on the air the next day and play that on the air. And the recorder wasn't recording. Two of my best stories about meeting an iconic music individual involve me not properly running the equipment. A highly trained broadcast professional, like not running the equipment. So, I, I mean, I'd be playing the audio of Gordon Lightfoot singing Heartbreak Hotel this morning if I hadn't goofed that up. But I did. And that's the way it is. Um, but Gordon Lightfoot, somebody wrote to me this morning. Here's a couple of texts and tweets on Gordon Lightfoot. Somebody wrote to me this morning and said, you're a little earlier, you're sounding emotional talking about Gordon Lightfoot. You're touching my heart. And I wrote back, well, he touched our hearts, really, in, in so many of his songs. Um, and, uh, and, and I saw a tweet from Siobhan Morris, CTV's Siobhan Morris. She used to be our Siobhan Morris. Uh, I like her and have a lot of respect for her. And she, she wrote a tweet that said, my dad's in Italy. It's the middle of the night. And I just want to talk to him about Lightfoot. To see that connection between daughter and father that Gordon Lightfoot represented for them is, um, was kind of touching as well. Um, another story in the news, so that uh, we do fit the other things in, um, and I, I mentioned it in the five things you need to know, teen suffers catastrophic head injury while climbing on a moving subway car. I had a, my first thought was, how do you do that? 
Not, not that I want to, but I just, I've been riding the subway a lot lately. And I, how do you get out while the thing is running? Is there a hatch at the top? I just, Joe, you ride the subway. How do you get out of a subway car? You go in between the cars and then you climb up from in between the two cars. Can you open that door while the thing is running and get um, out like a, like a Western movie where you go out? Yeah, pretty much. The, yeah. If if the doors are unlocked between the cars. Okay, well, if the doors are... Uh, I, I don't know if they're unlocked on the TTC. I know they are on the New York City subway. Why? Have you climbed between the cars? No, but I've watched people do stupid things like that. Oh, you've seen like people that. do it? Yeah, and this would be one of the older ones, maybe. The newer ones, of course, you can walk between, because there's one long hallway. Well, the one open gangway, yeah. Yeah, it's like a hallway going down the tracks. <laughs> Basically, I find it entertaining when you're going north from Osgood, uh, and it, it took me a bit to, to figure out what was going on uh, when I would go downstairs to get on line two to go west. I thought... Well, this is the same direction as the train I just got off. And after once I got on one of those moving hallway things, I realized actually the one going north cuts west for a little bit and then turns back north again. That's how, the, you know. Uh, anyway, I didn't know you could get off. But one of the things, and, and Matt Gurney wrote a tweet about this, and he admitted on the tweet, this sounds a little cold, but I think he's right. The story, the, one of the stories on this kid trying to climb up onto the top of the subway, the story said there's no indication of a motive for climbing on top of the subway car. And what Matt Gurney wrote, and there's some truth to it, is he didn't need a motive. He's a teenage boy. Teenage boys do stupid stuff. Young, I, I often say on my show, young and stupid is a thing. But young and stupid and male is a particular thing, unfortunately. And I think he's right about that. Oh, here's a text. Subway operator here. The inner car doors are not locked. I did not know that. Well, mostly because I, why would I want to do that? Why would I, maybe it's, it, it would be an escape if the train stopped and there was a fire in one of the cars or something. That's another way you could get out, I guess. But... Um, yeah, another person wrote, through the inner car, intercar doors, those doors are not locked. All right. I'll keep that in mind. But it's just an incredibly stupid thing to do. Somebody did surmise on Twitter that this might have been a TikTok thing. Hey, I'm going to make a video of myself on top of the car. That, that seems to be the most logical explanation for the illogical actions of a teenage boy. And when I say that, by the way, I'm not being holier than thou. I used to amuse myself, you know, once I was in my 30s, by remembering something I'd done and I'd tell my mom, because <laughs> what's she going to do? <laughs> I'm in my 30s. Do you ever do that, Nick? Do you ever say to your mom, hey, did you know I did this when I was young? Uh, what did you tell your mom exactly, Jerry? You know, there was a thing that we used to, we used to do uh, on the edge of our town. Um, there's kind of a valley off the edge of the town. They built a golf course down there and everything. But there was a cliff. But it wasn't like a 90-degree cliff. There was a, just a little bit of a slope to it. So we used to jump off the cliff and slide down. The, it was sandy, kind of. We used to jump off the cliff. It was fun. I'd come home, and my mom would wonder why I was covered in dirt. <laughs> but she, she just figured, you know, we were just out playing, and I was diving for the ball or something in a baseball game or something. And I guess she never asked me. Stuff like that that I would tell her that we did.
Well, a uh, similar story. So um, I lived in New York, but when I used to visit family here in Toronto, um, you know, we always, my mom always bought new clothes, and I had these beautiful light-colored shorts. Yeah. And it had rained the night before, and we were just about to go out to one of our aunt's places or, or whatever to visit, and uh, my cousins and I decided to play baseball in the muddy field. Yeah. Brand new white shorts. And your mom was real thrilled about that. But that's well, she, not something you could hide from her. Well, she didn't know because when I, I got in, she was in the other room. I changed my pants. Yes. And then she found the dirty pants and, you know, where I hid them. And yeah, needless to say, she knocked the dirt off my pants. <laughs> we will continue here with uh, memories of Gordon Lightfoot. Um, John Moore. Um, put together uh, a memory of Gordon Lightfoot actually before he before John left on vacation. John would have anticipated he'd be playing it on his own show, but unfortunately Gordon Lightfoot passed away yesterday at the age of 84. We'll have that uh, John Moore piece for you coming up along with the rest of the news. That's The Breakfast Wrap for May the 2nd. I'm Jerry Agar for John Moore. You've been listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Don't forget to subscribe and get the latest episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And listen weekday mornings from 5 to 9 on News Talk 1010.